I'm speaking this afternoon to Kay Nankervis. She's the Greens candidate for the seat of Kalea. Uh, Kay, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here on 2MCE, Liam. <laughs> so you said that your confidence in this coming election is based on an increased climate vote. How important an issue do you think that actually is in Kalea? Well, it is such an important issue. I was talking to a, an old school friend of mine actually yesterday who lives in Mudgee and she said to me, I said, she sort of said to me, how did you possibly think that I wasn't a Green supporter? She said, it's a no-brainer. She said, we're looking at increased fire risk. She said, I, I'm really worried about it constantly. We all are in Mudgee, Bathurst, Orange. We're worried about flood risk as well. It's increased in our region. We've just been seeing catastrophic floods up on the northern rivers and it's all to do with extreme weather events that were originally predicted decades ago arising out of rising climate temperatures. So I'd like to move possibly to the key policy platform. Firstly, on education, the Greens platform is to completely abolish student debt for universities and TAFEs. Is there an accessibility problem at current with universities? Is there? It's uh, the, the HEX debt, or it used to be called HEX, it's now called something else that students live with after they leave university, hangs over them for much of their lives and it's something that actually discourages people from coming. It's a huge opportunity cost to put off working full time in order to study at university. It's an expensive exercise when you have no money to begin with, which is the case with most young people. So anything we can do to remove the cost of higher education from burdening young people, we will do it just to encourage and enable equal access to university education for everyone, whether you've got well-off parents who can support you through university or not, to make sure everyone can attend university. Public ownership is another key change that the Greens are putting forward before the voters. Prevailing wisdom would tell us that privatisation of some assets is achieving greater efficiencies in how they run. Is there a potential for that to be disrupted if public utilities are essentially run by a state monopoly? The problem with uh, monopoly, I mean, the problem with um, selling off public assets and things that have traditionally been managed by governments is that you can't always be certain that services will be will be taken to places that are not cost effective for companies and for corporations. So the idea of having things in public hands is that you have expertise available to manage and provide services to people in remote parts of the country and elsewhere, you know, and those parts of the country that may not have the kind of customer base that attracts uh, business. That's one of the reasons why you privatise. The things that have been sold off, like electricity poles and wires, things like that, assets and utilities, they become more expensive, they are, are not that e efficient, they're not provided equally to everyone and, and it becomes such a user pay scenario that the more difficult you are to look after, the more it's going to cost you and that's not the way to look after all of Australians. With regards to housing affordability, your party has proposed one million new public houses or publicly owned houses. We already know there's a huge materials and skill shortage, especially in regional Australia. Just how feasible is that plan to get done in the next three years? In fact, I was hearing today that there's going to be an even greater materials shortage just because of the rising costs of fuel mm. because of the Ukraine crisis. In that, that I was hearing today, this morning, I think, on radio, that there's going to be difficulty for builders everywhere across the country to access hard would also because uh, there's fewer and fewer plantation forests happening at the moment. Uh, what what am I saying about housing? Why 
I think the skill, the skills and materials shortage is also something that is going to have to be addressed in order to enable a rollout of adequate housing for Australians. It is one of the things that is feeding into the costs of housing and the reason why so many Australians have difficulty accessing affordable housing either to buy or to live in when they're fallen on hard times. People on sickness benefits, people who are unemployed, people who have long-term disability who require public housing. There is not enough to go around. It means too many Australians are living in very difficult lives. This is very much the case in Calaire. I've been seeing it on social media. I've seen people on, on the Bathurst Buy and Swap a social media site even talking about how they're leaving Bathurst to go and live with relatives in Sydney because they can no longer afford the, the rents to actually rent in a regional, regional city where the rents are meant to be a little bit less expensive than in, in metropolitan cities. And that is being driven by that, you know, obviously the council are saying that they can't push the housing market any further because developers simply don't have that skills or materials. If we are diverting, I suppose, those builders away from the private owned developer towards the public housing, isn't that just going to increase the cost of materials and skills further? Well, we, as long as we've got builders building houses, it's going to be looking after people who need housing. What we need to do is offset the impact of this shortage, which is raising prices so that more and more private money is ch chasing these skills. It's all the more reason to make sure that people requiring public housing are also being supported at the same time because it becomes more and more difficult for everyone. This skills shortage is, is, a, is a, a training and education issue that needs to be addressed as well. I'm glad you raised it because it is also, as you say, it's one of the structural problems also affecting housing at the moment and it's something that needs to be addressed by adequate training. We've just seen in this country and in the regions especially of New South Wales TAFE, technical and further education institutions being wound back and closed down, um, defunded. That's another reason why we're lacking skills in practical areas such as building. It's because we actually don't have the tertiary education available. That The number of apprenticeships that are being created or being offered to people has shrunk in the last 20 years. It's a, it's a terrible issue. It's terribly worrying. There's no proposals at the moment in the Greens to wind back negative gearing. Is that going to change? Uh, that That's not one of the things that we are targeting at the moment because uh, economically, sometimes negative gearing is something that creates the opportunity for private enterprise to create housing opportunities. It is something that's on the agenda, though, because we uh, really want to make sure that taxation in Australia is fairer than it has been. That means making sure that people with greater wealth are paying more in tax, that the matches and is proportionate to their income. And the problem area that we are finding in taxation is that well, we, we'd call them billionaires, but it's mostly people who own corporations and corporations because of, of, of tax incentives and tax structures that are meant to uh, prioritise business and enable business to operate um, hell for leather in Australia, that some companies in Australia, in fact, one in three, some people calculate, are not paying their fair share of tax or are paying no tax at all. Uh, and so the negative gearing will be in the mix there for consideration. Because it is a proposal and a, I suppose a mechanism that I suppose the only word is helps people who already have one home. That's a really good point. Uh, the, the Greens does not have a problem with a second home, investment home. 
uh, because that is a good way for people sometimes to shore up their their life after retirement. Uh, it's once you get to third and fourth homes that we think that uh, the tax breaks available for those should be looked at and re-examined. Similarly, the proposals to restore uh, the capital gains tax to the pre-Howard era, is that something the Greens are looking at? Definitely. Cost of living pressures are being exacerbated by the high fuel prices at the moment. The Reserve Bank Governor says that there's a risk of quickening inflation in the months ahead. The Greens say the main issue here is wages. What mechanisms are you planning to use if you do hold the balance of power to actually shift the wages up? Well, a lot of people on the conservative side of politics argue that increasing wages are what cause inflation, um, rather than arguing that wages should keep pace with the cost of living, which is what inflation affects. So if we hold the balance of power, we'll make sure that we work with the other parties to encourage an equitable approach to wage decisions and to the enterprise bargaining structure that currently covers so much of, of people's salaries and wages. So we argue for workers' rights and for that the people who work should be pay, have the right kind of compensation for the work that they do and that we have the right kind of tax breaks for people in low incomes to make sure that they have as much of their income available to spend on their living expenses. The pandemic has already brought many families close to the brink. How long will all of this take? <laughs> well, how long is a piece of string? Um, well, How I mean, long will what take? Well, the specific mechanism, you haven't sort of specified any specific mechanisms that they'll be changing. You said they'll be working with the parties in general to be actually changing the wages and pushing them up. You've In your party outline, you said that you've been intended to shift public service wages by 4% in the next three years, and that will push private wages up. How does that work? Well, the reason that works is that, that um, everything flows on to everything else, so that when you put, put, push up public service wages, that encourages employers also to offer larger wages outside of the public sector to make sure that they can attract people as well. So it, it, it actually creates, it changes the playing field, and so there's always a mechanism in terms of supply and demand for workers to level off the field. That's, that's one way that that will do that, and also to properly reflect the changes in living costs that have been happening over the last decade. A common theme throughout the platform you're espousing is a focus on expenditure. What plan does your party actually have to pay for that increased spending by the federal government? Are there taxes in particular that you're looking to raise? Well, that's a really good question. And people always ask, how are you going to pay for it? Well, for a start, every Greens policy has been properly costed. It's been costed through the Greens as a party's access to um, parliamentary costing um, costs, co the public service is able to help the Greens um, establish an independent costing of their their their, um, their plans to spend more in areas that need spending. Also, we want to shift taxation so that people who should be paying tax and aren't at the moment because of their ability to access certain government uh, relaxations that affect, affect corporations, we want corporations to pay their fair share of tax. So we're missing out on revenue from that sector. Also, I like to make the point that when you are spending money as a government in making the country a better, fairer place, you're actually making an investment for the future to offset future costs that come from a, a society that's not functioning properly. The more you spend on social justice, social welfare, uh, wages fairness, the less you have to deal with social problems in the long run. So it's an investment in not having to spend money 
on to, to, to be able to avoid spending more on mental health problems, um, social justice solutions, social welfare solutions for people who are affected by an unjust state. So th- th- that money spending is really investment. It's a better way to look at it. You mentioned the focus on taxing corporations. According to your current plans, how much do you expect that will raise in the first three years, in the next three years? $6 billion at least. And we've spoken about a range of issues today. What's the priority? What comes first? Out of all of those priorities? Mm -hmm. Well, the very first priority is climate change. It's making sure that we move to action on climate change, that that Australia meets its international requirements to, to match every other country in terms of how we will cut our carbon emissions in order to contribute to keeping global warming to 1.5 degrees by the middle of the century. We need to do it. It is so urgent. Already the cost to human beings across the globe is increasing. It's increasing insurance pre- premiums, so homes are becoming uninsurable on sea lines and in flood-prone areas. It's something we have to do. We have to do it the moment we have a change of government, start moving towards shifting Australia's commitments. The Greens captured just over 6% of the primary vote in Kalea at the last election. What makes you think that the electorate's mood has shifted so much that you might capture the majority now? I'm certain from people I've been speaking to who I thought were traditionally conservative voters, even not even Labor voters, who say they just want to have a candidate they can vote for who they know is taking climate change seriously and is advocating and pressuring the main parties to take stronger action on climate change. I'm absolutely convinced that our vote is going to increase. I also welcome any other candidates in the Calais space who are arguing for stronger commitments on climate change and cutting emissions. There is no way the Greens vote is not going to increase this election in Calais, even though we've traditionally been a, a an electorate that has been a strong national party stronghold. I, I just think that things are going to shift radically in Calais and that, that, that a big climate vote is on its way. Just on that, you did say that you're welcoming people who are advocating for climate change. Independent candidate Kate Hook has also been quite strong on the issue. Are you worried that you're splitting the vote between the two candidates and therefore perhaps weakening the strength of the issue when it finally comes to the final vote? I don't think that's an issue at all. It's been a bit lonely for the Greens in Calais, usually only fielding, being the only candidate, fielding the only candidate that is arguing strongly for climate change. The fact that we now have at least one more candidate who is is seen to be stronger on climate than Labor and Liberal indicates the shift that's happening. By rights, if you want, if all your candidates to ref, were to reflect the reality of the greatest and most important issue we're facing today, every single candidate, Claire, should by rights be a strong advocate for climate action. I just think it's it's an unequal thing if we've only got two. Kay, thank you so much for coming in today and for speaking with us. Thank you, Liam. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk on 2MCE. It's a fabulous radio station. Fabulous people have been working on it since 1975. Um, And I myself have have sometimes graced the airwaves here because uh, I used to be a communications student. I used to be on the the airwaves as a student from... Well, I won't tell you how long ago it was. It was a very long time ago. Mm. (laughs) Wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thank you.